Hey, it's Andrew, and today on the show we have Aman Natu, Head of Customer Success at Leda. In this episode, we talked about the moment Aman decided to shift from sales to customer success, how using a growth ceiling calculator helped him realize they had to double down on retention, and how customer success fits in a product-led world. We also discussed how Leda's customer success team makes up 8% of the entire company, what they focus on, their KPIs, how it's structured, and lastly, the retention experiment mindset at later. As usual, I'm excited to hear what you think of this episode. And if you have any feedback, I would love to hear from you. You can email me directly on andrew at churn.fm. Don't forget to follow us on Twitter and enjoy the episode. Today's episode is sponsored by Avrio, a collaborative insights platform built directly into your workflow. With the browser extension and web app, Avrio provides a new way to capture and share data analysis, user research, and learnings directly in context with your team. From data dashboards, Google Slides, and Slack threads, to inside of apps and team members' heads, Avrio captures all of your insights and creates a single source of truth. Visit avrio.com to learn how you can maximize your team's collective knowledge with Avrio. This is Churn.fm, the podcast for subscription economy pros. Each week, we hear how the world's fastest growing companies are tackling churn and using retention to fuel their growth. How do you build a habit-forming product? We crossed over that magic threshold to negative churn. You need to invest in customer success. It always comes down to, to retention and engagement. Completely bootstrap, profitable, and growing. Strategies, tactics, and ideas brought together to help your business thrive in the subscription economy. I'm your host, Andrew Michael, and here's today's episode. Hey, Aman, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me, Andrew. It's a pleasure for the listeners. Uh, Aman is the head of customer success at Later, the number one marketing platform for Instagram that allows you to visually plan, schedule, and analyze posts for Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, and Twitter and is used by over 3 million of the world's top brands, agencies, and influencers. Uh, Prior to later, Aman was the U.S. expansion lead of Spendesk and the head of sales at Bonjoro. We actually previously interviewed their founder, Matt Bonnet, uh, and it was a very, very interesting chat we had with him. I'd really encourage you to listen to that episode too. But Aman reached out, and obviously, we naturally were delighted to have a chat with him to learn about his experience there, but also now how he's taking that forward into later. So my first question that I have for you, Aman, is... Looking at your previous two roles, uh, they tend to look to be more on the sales side. And from what I saw at Spendesk, it probably sat in the middle between sales and success. Uh, so what made you make the jump uh, to double down on success at later? Yeah, so I, it's been an interesting journey in sales. Um, and I naturally came from a sales background. Uh, so when I got into SaaS, sales was the, was the natural transition. And what I learned over the time of being within different roles was more traditional account executive type uh, sales roles and and uh, and beyond was in kind of sales leadership was I was always more inclined to think about uh, the tail end of the of the sales journey I think we get a lot of glory in sales as closing uh, new business and you know companies typically celebrate when you know even with uh, with a gong for example when when new sales close but what I had started to learn and start to see was that the real impact on a SaaS business came from the uh, you know, that relationship with customer success and how well we could onboard customers and keep them long term. Um, and so over the years of, of being kind of more focused on that and interested in that tail end of the sales journey, I naturally made that transition. Um, part of my time at Bonjour, I was actually very 
helpful for that. Um, I realized that uh, I had more of a passion around the relationships rather than the closing of the business. And so I naturally made that transition. It's very interesting as well that you mentioned sort of like the glory being on the sales side, but really the value. And after seeing like in different sales leadership roles that the tail end when it comes to retention is where what's driving most of the growth. Uh, maybe you want to talk us through like the specific point in time when you realize and you made this realization that actually like although sales, we might celebrate it more and we have the like short term impact, the long term impact when it comes to SaaS business is really doubling down and making sure that you have strong retention. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's there was kind of two moments that really uh, helped understand this and they, they're linked. Uh, and so I think what the, the initial aspect of that came within Bonjoro. So when I joined Bonjoro, we had, I joined as the head of sales um, and Matt and I were uh, thinking about how we want to build this sales journey and potentially build a, a bigger sales team around Bonjoro. And so the mindset was that, you know, we needed that traditional marketing is going to get us leads. Uh, we want to make sure that we understand which of those leads are, you know, potentially a good fit for us based on our ideal customer profile that we created, uh, and then reach out to those leads. Uh, we had we were fully inbound, which was great, but reach out to those leads and, and walk them through a, you know, a demo and a bit of a sales process. What we quickly learned was that our product specifically, and I think this goes for, for a lot of other products out there that, that are more self-service driven and, and maybe lower ARPA, uh, our customers didn't actually want to speak to a salesperson. They they typically didn't you know reach back out if there was a sales outreach. Or they didn't necessarily want to see demos or webinars. Really, what they wanted to do was to use the product, uh, get value from the product themselves, and in some cases, they would reach out when they needed some support or maybe some guidance on getting to that that moment, that aha moment. Um, and so, while I joined Bonjour as the head of sales, we really ended up transitioning more towards a customer success mindset of how do we help our customers get value within the product through touch points with them, um, different types of touch points. And so during that journey, what, what we had learned was, and I'm sure we'll dig into this maybe later on the call, but really quick, what we had learned was there's different levers uh, that you can measure, especially when it comes within SaaS. And so we had done a bit of a, a journey around moving from a traditional MQL model to a, a product qualified lead model. And during that time, we, we started to look at what our, our churn was looking like and our churn had jumped up quite high um again being self-service it's, it's pretty natural i think we were something around like 12 or 11 or 12 percent monthly churn yeah oh. and um That's we wanted to know you know yeah it was definitely high it was concerning and we were realizing that we needed to, to make an impact on that right away and so we had looked at our numbers in terms of you know uh, how many customers we were getting per month what our uh average revenue per user was um and then the retention and we were playing with those numbers we we were looking at well, what happens if we were double uh, new revenue. Um, how would that impact the long longevity of our business? There's a, there's a calculator you can find online. Um, I think it's uh, it's like a SaaS ceiling calculator, and it tells you how much yeah. time you have left in your business. And so we plugged our numbers in, and when you cut the uh, the uh, for example, if you if you double the revenue or the double the, the revenue per user or uh, the amount of customers we were getting. When you double the amount of customers, it really didn't give us that much impact on the longevity of our business. But if you reduce that churn from 12% to 7%, it was like giving us an extra two years of business. And so I quickly realized that the, the retention lever is like just so much more impactful than doubling or tripling the new customers. 
Yeah, I think that the growth ceiling, that calculator, that moment that you do that calculation internally to understand at which point your company stops growing uh, based on your current inputs that you mentioned, sort of the churn, current growth rates and uh, retention is like, it's one of those unbelievable turning points in any organization when they do this exercise, because like you say, you quickly realize like where the bigger impact lies um, in order to continue growing at some point, like uh, you'll get to a point where you have channel fatigue and there's uh, there's obviously not an unlimited source of channels that you can be acquiring new customers from, but making sure that you're retaining more of those customers has this like sort of amplified uh, compounding impact uh, that enables you to continue growing uh, by making exactly. more retention. Uh, it was so interesting because we, we wouldn't, I mean, obviously in an ideal world, you want to double the amount of customers you get and churn, cut churn in half and do all these yep. things at the same time. But if you, if you were to pick one, we, 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 in our, for the unit economics we had at that time, cutting retention or cutting churn rather and, and retaining more of our customers, even a slight bit was a, was a massive impact. So we generated all of our focus on that. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we, we did a similar exercise as well at Hotjar maybe a couple of years ago. Um, we already knew we wanted to be improving churn and retention, but I think this was one of those exercises which we did, which was like, okay, yes, this makes total sense. And like you said, like having just those data points available to you, uh, we'll definitely add a link as well in the show notes for the churn ceiling calculator. Uh, might even add one to the site as well, because I definitely think it's a super valuable tool to have. Uh, to understand at which point you stop growing and then what are the levers you can pull to make sure you continue to grow. But uh, we, like I said, I mean, we had a similar reaction internally and that's when we sort of really sort of doubling down our efforts and getting alignment across the organization around uh, focusing on retention as a key driver for growth. Um, so the one thing you, you reached out with as well uh, was sort of like the concept of how customer success fits in a product-led world. And I thought maybe we could chat about this. Obviously, this was your suggestion as well. The came, but I think it was definitely an interesting one, having previously interviewed Wes Bush on product-led business and what it's about. Uh, but maybe you want to start with like your perception of what a product-led business is, and then maybe you can tell us like how you see customer success fitting in uh, to this world. Yeah, absolutely. So I've been kind of following this the, the product-led mindset for a while, and I think it's not necessarily something new and, and, and uh, you know, completely revolutionary. But I think Wes, uh, for example, is doing a great job of contextualizing what product-led means uh, in SaaS today. And for me, with my experience, as you mentioned, kind of the, the spend desks of the world that are a bit more traditional in their, uh, in their customer journey, where you know, they're, they're having uh, a lot of touch points with marketing sales, uh, customer success, product, et cetera. Um, and the difference between companies like that and something like a Bonjour or a Later or a Zapier, for example, is that really when you when you fall into this this level of SaaS uh, businesses that are a bit more self service, uh, a little smaller on the revenue per account or revenue per user, um, and really moving the conversations that would typically, like we mentioned earlier, that sales would need to have to getting in the product and using the product to a point where you get value. I think Wes mentioned this uh, the other day on LinkedIn that there's kind of two ways to, to show customers value. One is to tell them and the other one is to show them and, and get them into the product just for, for them to see it themselves. And I think that's really where the, the, the kind of most basic example of, of product-led is that there's, there's this mindset now and this ability to get users into uh, your product, to get them to use it in a way that gets them value on their own and then get them to stay, you know, convert and stay with you long-term. I think that's where... I think success is, is quite different between uh, the traditional you know, uh, 
customer journey and the product-led journey. Uh, and then how would you typically like see customer success fitting in this world? So you mentioned as well, like the product-led typically be lower upper um, customers, like wanting to maybe be a lot more self-sufficient and self-serve themselves. Uh, whereas obviously like the previous experience, like mid-market going towards enterprise, like customer success offers a totally different experience uh, to the customers, maybe a lot more hands-on. Uh, how do you see these two worlds interacting with one another now? Yeah, there's there's definitely some similarities, I would say, between you know a traditional success model and a product-led type success model. I think uh, from a traditional model, uh, there's there's a big focus on on renewals and upsells. Um, there's it's very relationship-based, um, especially internally as well as with the customer. So you know, going back to uh, the, the spend us of the world, where you're having you know either you have a sales team that's outreaching and, and um, prospecting outbound and getting uh, leads in or, or whether marketing is handing you leads from a sales perspective and you're working them, um, closing them and then handing them off to customer success. That internal relationship is, is super strong, but the customer success relationship with the customer is very important. Typically those, those uh, success managers manage a, a list of accounts anywhere from, you know, depending on the, the size, whether it's enterprise down to SMB, you know, it could be 20 accounts up to hundreds of accounts. But it's very relationship-based, and when as you get further down the the path of a of a more transactional type uh, customer journey or uh, more self-service, you really start to look at different types of uh, indicators of how you can provide value to your customers. It's more based on product usage and habits, um, how that impacts retention. Um, there's less of that key account management and less of that relationship within you know. Uh, internally within a sales team, it's much more transactional. Um, I think where the commonality is is that there's both both of these types of customer success teams need to focus on retention, but it's really the path that you get there uh, is a little bit different. I think both teams don't necessarily have full control or absolute control over retention, but uh, the the different journey that the customer goes through to impact retention is quite different. Yeah, for sure. I can see like that being a nice distinction as well that you mentioned. Obviously, the one is high touch versus low touch. One's a lot more personal versus transactional. Um, when it comes to sort of that more transactional nature and uh, talking about business of lower APA, um, what are some of like the key activities that you were working on as a customer success uh, team? Like I know as well, there's obviously, obviously often times where the activities overlap with the marketing and customer lifecycle marketing. So Maybe you want to talk us through like your team's focus now at later, um, how you structured, what is the team's like KPIs? What are you focusing on as a customer success team? Yeah, absolutely. I think, I think to, to, to summarize it in, in quickly and then we can kind of dig into it a bit further. We've identified what a, the mission of our success team here is at later. So the mission is to, is, is two sides. One is, to help our customers achieve their visual marketing uh, goals with the usage of our product. And that's fairly, obviously very specific to later, but the, but the, the uh, overarching mindset is to help our customers achieve those outcomes through the use of the product. And then the second part of it that we've identified is to then be the champions of, of retention and, and churn within uh, the company itself. So there's, there's the mindset where success can be the sole owners of retention. And really it's, it's about understanding 
how success can impact retention, but how other teams can impact retention. So the kind of mission we have with them later is one, help our customers get what they need to get done with the product, but also uh, just be the eyes and ears of retention and then be champions of it with, within the company internally. Um, and so the way that we'll, what we focus on uh, really when I joined and, and what we wanted to do when I joined was to really understand the different areas of success within the business that we can be focusing on. So we've kind of narrowed the team down into three areas. Um, we focus on onboarding, uh, we focus on customer education, and we focus on customer engagement. And we use those terms, some other, other teams might use different terms for those areas, but we really focus on those kind of different moments within the customer journey and how we can add value at different moments. So the onboarding team really focuses on activations and we really need to define what activations are and understand uh, what an activated customer looks like. The education team focuses on that kind of jobs to be done mindset. How do we continue to give our customers uh, an experience that matches their specific ideal outcome and their specific goals? The engagement team is a bit more focused on, on a little bit more of a traditional success model. We have, uh, you know, a segment of customers that are a little bit more higher value. And so we want to create a bit more of a concierge service for them. And so we've, recently built uh, an engagement team around that. And then how we power those three teams is in a more cross-functional way, is an, is an operations mindset, being, being very data-driven, being very research-driven. So we have an aspect of the team that focuses on helping us be as data-backed as possible. Interesting. And what size is the team then uh, in total? Yeah, at the moment, uh, the team is, I believe, five going on six. We're just bringing in our first uh, data analyst. Um, and so up until recently, the success org at later was run by a couple of individuals that were doing you know, a lot of different projects and had their hands in so many different things, which was great. They know this business super, super well. And now we're focusing on building the team out into those, those three, four areas. Uh, and so the plan for this year is to, is to grow. I think we've added three team members just in the last few weeks and then uh, another team member soon. So there'll be a lot, of, a lot of upcoming growth this year. Nice. And in terms of the whole company, like what size are you at at the moment? Just for Yeah. So we are, I believe, I, the number I heard the other day was 85. Okay. Um, and the the... The uh, I think when I joined, which was about five six months ago, was maybe around sixty five seventy. So this year's been uh, been a lot of growth, and we a plan to grow uh, quite a bit more this year. Yeah. And you're about like eight percent of the total uh, team is customer success. So that's it's quite interesting just to get perspective on the team size of success versus yeah. The team. Um, and, and the way that we do it is a little bit different. We've kind of separated um, our support side with the success side. So, so my team, we focus specifically on the more proactive uh, side of success, whereas we have a customer happiness team that is the more reactive uh, support side, which is a very large team. I think we're about 20 or 25 people on that team. Nice. And then the, the areas that you've specifically chosen to focus on, like in terms of activation and engagement and um was this like something that you did all at once? Did you stagger it out in terms of which areas you decided to focus on first as the team was growing out? Like, what did your priority list look like in terms of putting this team together? Like, which were the most important roles you wanted to do and see first uh, versus where you are today? Yeah, so we, we focused on the, the onboarding education engagement all, all at once. Um, we had a couple of existing team members that had 
really had a competitive have a competitive advantage in a couple of those areas because they've been focusing while running projects across multiple different areas they had a bit of a competitive advantage in those specifics so um we have three of them focuses on the onboarding side and desiree focuses on the education and the retention side and then the first kind of team we built from there was the engagement side so we brought a team member in uh, on engagement they're all equally important i think because they're they just hit different moments of the customer journey um and the the uh, the op side is the side that we're now building we have some skill set within the team of course to do some research projects and um having a, a good basic understanding of data and how we can pull uh, product usage uh, information to you know formulate some experiments that we might run and hypotheses that we would run uh, and, and test um so we focus on those three areas first um existing team members kind of fit into that very very well and then building out the engagement team and now that's that operations the customer success offside that we're looking to build that will help us level up in terms of being a bit more data driven and and really focusing on on customer research and understanding what the data tells us but also what customers tell us and and matching those two together so that the, the other teams can work on the right things yeah i was just actually intrigued i wanted to ask you about that component as well that the sort of the customer success ops and i think it's definitely something it's a growing trend but what would you see sort of this data analyst now specifically focus on? Maybe you can give us a couple of like really specific examples where you'd use a data analyst working within uh, success. Yeah, so I think there's there's kind of two main focuses uh, that will be for this data analyst. One will be to help the rest of the success team really nail down that what they're working on is the is the best thing to be working on. And, and they, they do this well already, but I think having a, a you know someone who uh, understands the the data, uh, product usage data even better will help us enhance this. So, a good example would be, we often come up with uh, different ideas for projects and experiments that we can run that we think will help impact uh, retention for customers. So, different moments uh, for different team members. So, for example, um, we're just uh, implementing uh, a new product tour software, we're implementing app queues. And we have some ideas on on certain flows that we can build uh, based on data that we've seen. So, um, uh, a good example would be we we did an analysis on our onboarding process and different moments we need our customers to uh, to hit uh, certain moments in the journey. So we do a funnel analysis of those who sign up and how many of them upload their media and how many of them set up certain features and where those drop off points are. So based on the data that shows us. You know, we have we can come up with some hypotheses that we're maybe lacking on certain areas, and so we can run an experiment with a product tour, or we can uh, run an in-app message experiment, or those types of areas. And I think where the data analyst will help us is things that are a bit more complex. Uh, when we have a hypothesis that comes through that says, "I think this is an area we can improve upon," that data analyst can really validate whether or not the data uh, aligns with that exact hypothesis that we come up with that might be a bit more qualitative. So that's one side is, is the data analyst helping the existing team just further enhance their hypotheses and, and uh, validate them a bit more. And then the second side is helping us build really strong dashboards of, across uh, different product features and usage uh, and trends that help indicate leading indicators of retention. Um, we have a good understanding of this. We have a data team within later that focuses on different areas and that help us quite a bit, but having someone dedicated to looking at retention, essentially kind of fully focusing on retention and all the impact uh, and different indicators, that's the other side of it. So really empowering the team to have the right data so they can run the right experiments and then kind of being the, the, the 
absolute, um, what's the word I'm looking for, like genius when it comes to, or, or all the insights around retention and what impacts it. Yeah, there's quite a few interesting things I want to touch on that you mentioned now. The, the first being as well, I found it intriguing that you have sort of this data team and a company-wide initiative where like customer success is the one championing retention within the organization. Because I think as well, like the retention analyst itself, someone being an expert, like for me, this is also something, one of the main goals of product. Uh, so I'm interested, like what is the dynamic like as well that later when it comes to retention, like does each team see this as a really important and critical component of growth? Or are you still really trying to have to push uh, these changes or ideas into product um, with the mindset that this is going to have an impact on retention? Uh, like essentially, how are you prioritizing like product? Yeah, I think I think we're quite lucky in that uh, even from before I joined, one of the one of the the company goals uh, for 2019 and especially 2020 is is having uh, retention as one of the top kind of not necessarily North Star goals because we have a few, but uh, one of the main goals of the entire organization is uh, is we have a goal that's uh, retention focused, and we have a goal that's NPS focused, and a few others. Um, so we're lucky in that uh, we have leadership that understands the impact of, of retention and um, and how it can impact the business from a, you know in the long term and even the short term. But what our goal then with success success is to understand it deeply. How how can we do it? So. We've, yeah, to answer your question, we, we've, yeah, we were lucky to have the mindset top down that retention should be a big focus for the company. That's good. And then the other thing as well that I was interested was like you talking about running experiments quite regularly that are retention related and trying to make improvements. Maybe you want to talk us through this because I think this is also like something that's it's quite a difficult thing to conceptualize because retention is an output metric that's made up of so many different inputs. And how is your team going about running these experiments? Like what are the health metrics you're looking at? How are you like sort of understanding the correlation versus causation when you run the experiments? Like maybe you want to run us through that a little bit. Yeah, so I'll start with the retention mindset, sorry, the experiment mindset. So um, our growth team really uh, drives this well and I think other teams have adopted this very well. Uh, Dean, who's our head of growth, uh, is kind of our experiment master where he, we go to him for, for advice and, and, and he helps us kind of understand what a good experiment is. But we, we really approach um, any changes we're going to make within the product from a, uh, from a customer standpoint, so any interaction with customers from this mindset around experiments. Like how can we test with small groups of our customers any changes we're going to make, similar to how we might uh, A-B test changes on the website or um, sign-up flows or cancellation flows. We, we run those similar type um, experiments within other types of customer touch points. So, uh, in-app messages, onboarding uh, emails, onboarding tours, everything is tested um, based on a hypothesis of where we can make an impact. Uh, and we use uh, Amplitude to track all of our customer usage data, which really empowers us to understand where we think we should be focusing our efforts. Um, we test things in, within small batches of our users. Um, not too small where we wouldn't see a, a meaningful impact, but large enough where we think we can see uh, that impact. And that's where you know, Dean and his team help us understand uh, where we can have that impact. Yeah, yeah the size of over 3 million users or customers, whatever. Exactly. Yeah, and so we, we, the way we approach uh, the kind of mindset on experiments is first we set our, our quarterly objectives. We set our OKRs uh, between each of the teams, so between onboarding, education, engagement. We then um, 
based on those objectives, create a backlog of potential ideas and projects that we could be running that will impact in those areas. Um, and then we kind of prioritize those backlog items depending on what we think will have the biggest impact and uh, a large enough reach for where we can see the impact. Um, and so projects vary, there's all different types of projects the team runs, we can dig into them, but we really focus on understanding how can we uh, you know, identify a potential place we can make an impact, get some benchmark data around it, and then run an experiment, understand that cohort of users who were in that experiment, how they perform versus that benchmark. And if it's a, a, a large enough impact, then we, we can then roll it out uh, company-wide. And so we, we like to see that from a cohort analysis of how can we impact these smaller groups of cohorts. That's interesting. And then, so you're taking uh, together different cohorts, you're running an experiment on them, and then you're measuring the impact on retention on these experiments, or are you really looking to try and maybe for a specific cohort, uh, increase a driver of retention uh, and an input metric. So like, how is the focus? How is the measurement done? Like obviously retention is an output metric, so it's lagging. It takes time to see these impacts. So, you know, be able to run experiments quick, understand the impact that you are making on retention, but being able to measure it in an iterative fashion that you can continuously experiment. Like, what is the work that went into that? Like, uh, are you specifically focusing on just driving some core actions, you know, that are related to retention? And as such, you see the impact further down the line? Maybe you want to talk us yeah. a little bit around that. It's a great question. I think uh, the best example would be some of the experiments we ran in Q1 of this year. So we we spent time building our objectives uh, for Q1 based around uh, leading indicators of what we found through some analysis within our data with an amplitude of what we found were product feature usage that were leading indicators of retention. So we found that there was a few features that really correlated very strongly with, uh, with long-term retention. So things like the amount of media uploads that uh, users do in their first seven days, uh, the amount of uh, posts that are scheduled with, uh, through later within, the, within their first seven days. Um, and then through the help of uh, our current data team, we helped kind of understand what would we need to, what would the list need to be on some of these features to see an impact on month one retention. So we focused Q1 on, on month one retention. We typically keep around 89% of our customers uh, past month one, we wanted to see that go up to above 90. And so we did some analysis to understand what would it, what would the usage of these particular features that we've identified as leading indicators, what would we need our, a new cohort of users to do to see that particular retention get impacted? So we ran uh, some projects around, for example, when our users sign up and, and set up certain features like the auto-publish feature with them later or uploading those three pieces of media. Um, so we, when we were measuring the, the impact of those experiments, we're measuring two things. One is how much of a lift did we get on the usage of those specific features? So if we typically see 50% of people upload media in their first seven days, do we want to get that to 55%, 60%, whatever that kind of benchmark versus target was? That's one measurement. And then also that cohort of users that we ran that experiment with. So whether it was like a, a new uh, uh, tour that they see within the product, how do they perform on the, after their month one retention? How were they on month two retention, month three retention? So we look at things from both sides. One is, did we hit the goals we were trying to achieve with the feature usage? And as well as, did that feature usage actually impact the retention that we expected based on the analysis that we had done? 
Interesting. And then in terms of like experiment velocity, then uh, having to wait, I think, for those results to come back on the back end, would, I would assume that it would be difficult to experiment frequently. Or are you taking sort of those early indicators of those increase in that metric, like you mentioned, like uploading videos or whatever it was? Um, are you taking those initial indicators and then just coming back and monitoring the experiment over time to make sure that it did actually achieve the anticipated results? Uh, which approach do you take in order to be able to experiment uh, faster? Yeah, that's a that's a really good question. You, because retention is uh, such a lagging indicator, you don't necessarily see the impact on a on a experiment right away, like you mentioned. For example, we're lucky with Q1 because we're focusing on month one retention, so it's an extra thirty day lag that we need to measure. But as we go into you know uh, Q2, which is focusing on the first three months of our customer journey, or uh, Q3, where we'll focus on the first six months, then you're essentially having to wait. Uh, those you know 90 to 180 days to see the impact on specific cohorts. So we try to. So far, we've been really focusing on on the results of Q1 to see how that's been going. So we have a 30 day a 30 day lag, um, and um, the the impact on uh, on those are a bit easier for us to measure. But this quarter will be a little bit different. So we focus on the retention side. We're building dashboards and tracking them every uh, every quarter and looking at them long term, and then. From the specific usage of those features, like we mentioned, the kind of two split, the, the, the specific usage of, of features versus the retention, we can focus on those in the short term, make sure we're hitting those targets, and then um, you know review the retention metrics later. But I think it's important to, to note that not all of these, of course, not all these experiments are going to have a positive impact on retention. It's, it's us learning as much as we can from uh, the dashboards that we're tracking month over month. Um, the best thing that we do is, is look at uh, uh, things from a cohort month over month. Uh, how do we look at month one versus month two versus month three retention? And there is a lag, but we started to see positive impacts when, we, when we've identified the right correlation between features and, and retention. So the short term, we look at that impact on, on features, long-term retention, and we'll see how, how it goes for this year. How it plays out, yeah. Uh, makes a lot of sense, but uh, definitely like it's one of those things to consider when you're running experiments and retention related is like, uh, although you want to be moving that number, understanding what the leading indicators are to retention and doing the groundwork and trying to understand what's driving retention really helps you to be able to experiment and improve those numbers later and then look back in a few months and reiterate and try and sort of redo the exercise of understanding, okay, what are these indicators now again? Have they changed? Are they still the same? How can we continue to experiment and uh, drive results uh, while not having to wait months to understand the impact on, on these experiments? Um, so lastly, I think we're running up on time now, I might as well, but I have one question that I ask every guest that joins. And I have the same question for you is, let's imagine a hypothetical scenario now that uh, you've joined a new company and churn and retention is not looking great at this company. Uh, the CEO has asked you to try and turn things around and they've given you three months to make an impact, like to really uh, prove some results. What would you want to be doing and spending your time on for those first 90 days to try and turn things around for the company? Yeah, I think uh, that's, a, that's a great question. I think the, the main thing that the way that I would approach this is understanding, first understanding what are the main reasons behind the churn, uh, understanding, looking at data of, uh, you know, cancellations, what, what drove cancellations to date, um, really what's driving the churn today from a, from a qualitative side. Um, and so if, if, you know, if the company has, uh, uh, 
it's tracking this data from cancellation forms as, as well as doing some customer research to understand what it is that users who signed up for versus those who canceled, where was that gap? What was the real reasons behind them leaving? I think that helps identify, are we losing customers because they're unhappy with the product and they're not getting value? Or uh, was there is there churn in there that uh, is something that we can't avoid? Um, I think, for example, um, David Apple from Typeform talks about this, of they have a high satisfaction rating for those customers who were canceling. So they were happy customers, but they were leaving because their business no longer needed the product. And so first, the first step would be to understand what is the real current reasons behind, uh, behind cancellations and churn. The second approach would be understanding where our customers are, where are we losing our customers in their journeys, looking at a cohort analysis of what does uh, the first month, two months, three months, 12 months, 24 months look like from a retention curve standpoint, understanding, breaking those segments down into what are the commonalities between those who leave us in the first month? What are the commonalities of those who leave us in the first three months or six months? Um, what are, why, how do we identify who our ideal customer profile is, those who stick with us past their 12-month mark? And then focusing on how we can improve that journey in those specific areas that are the biggest problem areas. So I think the main thing is, yeah, understanding why people leave, uh, why customers are leaving. And then the second approach, uh, the complementary to that would be breaking those, uh, the customer journey or the churn journey into different segments and understanding which are the biggest problem areas and then focusing, hyper-focusing on those areas first. Yeah, so starting with the who's really being successful or who's really having the hardest time and uh, being able to segment and understand those problems and challenges as a company and then double down on where obviously which should be the lowest hanging fruits I think from there that you see as opportunity. Uh, nice, uh, so Aman, it's been a pleasure having you on the show today. Uh, is there any last final thoughts you want to leave the listeners with uh, in how can they keep up to speed with your work? Anything you'd like to share before we end today? Yeah, I think I think the main point that, that would be interesting to share is that whether it's a product-led success org or it's a traditional, you know, uh, mid-market enterprise level customer success uh, model, I think the main thing is that that what, what we've learned and what I've learned over the years from podcasts like yours, yours and, and other uh, resources that churn as much as success wants to be able to impact it and uh, and retention to be able to impact those uh, those key metrics that were measured on uh it's sometimes and most often outside of our control and so it's really about understanding and being the champions and knowing all the insights of what causes churn so that we can mobilize that within the team so sharing that information and creating feedback loops with marketing and product and sales to understand what is actually the root causes of of these particular cancellations of these particular churns so I think, you know, we've talked a lot about the product-led side today, but I think what's common across all companies is that customer success doesn't have that full, absolute control over churn. If it was, then we would be able to make all the impact we can on it. But it's really about just knowing the insights behind it very, very well so you can mobilize it and share that with the team. Um, in terms of, of uh, following along with me, uh, yeah, you can add me on LinkedIn or uh, follow me on uh, at Twitter. It's just my name, Amon Nathu. Um, and I, I typically try to share as much as I can around this type of stuff. And, and but really, it's mostly learning from from podcasts like this and some of the guests that you have. Very cool, man. And uh, I definitely echo what you said as well about uh, success not being able to impact every detail. And uh, I think I can't wait for the day when we stop hearing that customer success owns uh, churn and retention, move towards the mindset that it's really it's a company issue. And uh, 
there are certain aspects that customer success can drive and work towards in those areas they should own. But ideally, like it's a metric that's owned by the organization, that there's alignment across the company and everybody works towards driving retention because ultimately in the subscription business, if you're not keeping those subscribers, you don't really have a business. So uh, it's been great having you today. Aman, really, really appreciate your time and I wish you best of luck now going forward into the next quarter and uh, look forward to hearing some of how the fruitfulness of the experiments that you do run uh, for longer term retention. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Andrew. Cheers. And that's a wrap for the show today with me, Andrew Michael. I really hope you enjoyed it and you're able to pull out something valuable for your business. To keep up to date with Churn.fm and be notified about new episodes, blog posts, and more, subscribe to our mailing list by visiting churn.fm. Also, don't forget to subscribe to our show on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you listen to your podcasts. If you have any feedback, good or bad, I would love to hear from you. And you can provide your blunt, direct feedback by sending it to andrew at churn.fm. Lastly, but most importantly, if you enjoyed this episode, please share it and leave a review as it really helps get the word out and grow the community. Thanks again for listening. See you again next week.